Today we have a baptism, and you know what? Jesus speaks about baptism in our gospel passage today. James and John think that it's great that they will be baptized in the baptism in which Christ was baptized. But they don't fully understand that such a baptism brings responsibilities as well as privileges, as all of our readings make clear today. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ will require us to make sacrifices for the kingdom of God. And yet, Anne and Stephen have pledged to raise Joseph in the faith, recognizing that the suffering Joseph will endure is a shared suffering. As we are baptized into Christ's death, so we are baptized into his resurrection. We are in the sixth week of seven we'll be spending in the central part of Mark's gospel this year. In this part, Jesus has been revealing what is required of us to be his disciples. Unlike the first section of the gospel, this part only contains three healings, starting with a blind man who only comes to see in stages. Mark has likewise set up Jesus' revelation to his disciple in this section in stages. So in this penultimate week, it's kind of disappointing to see how far off two of Jesus' closest disciples are in their comprehension of the mystery of discipleship. James and John understand that Jesus is the Son of God, the Anointed One of God, who will be revealed in His full glory at the end of time. But they don't seem to understand the sacrifice that Jesus must make to achieve His glory. Nor do they understand that they, too, are required to make sacrifices as His followers. James and John aren't the only ones who think this way. There are plenty of people who view baptism as a privilege without a responsibility. Something like a get-out-of-hell-free card. I bet they won't laugh tonight at that. If I get baptized, God, then you will bring me into your kingdom at the end of time. But baptism is better understood as a pledge, a promise, a covenant for this lifetime. When we are baptized, we became part of the church, part of the body of Christ. More it is saying, God, I want to be, or I desire my, desire my child to be, a member of the body of Christ. Through baptism, you will knit me into the body of Christ. And then through the grace of your Holy Spirit, I will serve to build your kingdom in this present age. But we live in a very anti-institutional culture. We see ourselves as individuals more than belonging to groups. We rage against the financial institutions, large corporations, and the government of our time. Don't blame me, we say. It's not my fault that Congress can't accomplish anything. I'm not part of the system. But Christianity has taught us that we are part of the system. Each of us has gifts to offer to the larger community, to the church, to the body of Christ. When we speak of the church as if we ourselves don't belong to it, we neglect the baptism of Christ into which we have been baptized. We are part of the institution trying to live out Jesus' teachings. We are a living sacrament to the world. We are heralds of the good news. We are servants of the poor. We are a communion of disciples. We are knit into the body of Christ. So James and John don't seem to get it. They want the glory without the sacrifice. And there are surely times when we don't seem to get it either. We think that being a Christian is a privilege instead of a responsibility. 
But Mark's narrative seems to indicate that James and John may not be as far off as we think. Jesus has now predicted his passion three times. I just noticed this about three weeks ago with the grad group, so a couple of you have already, you were there when I had this epiphany. The first time he predicted his passion, he was setting out for the villages of Caesarea Philippi, which is the extreme northern end of the region, what we would now call the Golan Heights. And there he called Peter Satan for his misunderstanding the requirements of discipleship. The second time Jesus predicted his passion, he was traveling through Galilee, about halfway down through the country. And there he meets a rich man who has done all things right, but goes away crestfallen because he hears there is yet one more thing to do. And now this third time, Jesus is getting close to Jerusalem. And although James and John misunderstand Jesus' teaching, they stay in conversation with him. That is one of the keys of discipleship. We have to keep trying. We have to keep trying to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we have to keep trying to be disciples of Jesus. And we have to keep trying to love others as Jesus loved us, with a selfless, sacrificial love. But all is not lost when we fail. Even though James and John seem mightily selfish and somewhat obtuse, they have a deep relationship with Jesus. As the preaching professor Don Otani Wilhelm writes, Jesus' tenderness and forbearance towards his disciples is good news for those of us today who hear his words yet do not fully understand what he means, or who struggle to relinquish our own plans for success. Anne and Stephen, you are pledging to raise Joseph in this faith. He will fall. He will fall short sometimes. But you are pledging that you will teach him to keep trying to follow, to keep trying to understand. Immediately after this passage, the next exchange that Jesus has is his final encounter with someone in this central portion of Mark's gospel. And that will be what we hear next week. The man who fully understands what discipleship is. Outside of Jericho, the last major town before Jerusalem, Jesus will ask the blind man Bartimaeus the same thing he asked James and John today. What do you wish me to do for you? And Bartimaeus will instantaneously come to see. And Bartimaeus will immediately follow Jesus to Jerusalem for his passion and death. Most of us will not instantaneously understand what God requires of us. But if we keep trying to follow Jesus, the mystery of discipleship will gradually be revealed to us just as the other man came gradually to see it will be revealed in the fullness of time. Amen to that.